Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best resource for students looking to get ahead, but a terrible resource for learning how to talk to me or my son ever again, because don't you ever talk to me or my son ever again. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. You can't learn how. It's just, it can't be done. You can't learn how. It cannot be done. You cannot copy my swag or or do that. Yep. Uh, Anyway, my name is Thomas Frank, and before... I turn this episode into a complete train wreck. Let me introduce my co-host, Martin Bamey. Yes, we only basically support partial train wrecks here. Only partial train wrecks, right. Uh, it's like those videos where people get the car on two wheels, like on the side, and then they stand on the other side, and they drive it down the road. It's like that. It, yeah, it's, we it's, don't terif- the it's train terrifying. Over. It's terrifying. But you are okay, other than mentally when you think about it every time yes. you're on a train. There's a high probability of disaster, but somehow, somehow we scrape by. You have to pay for a lot of therapy, but yep, you didn't die on the train. Well, hey, if you don't die on the train and it looks cool enough, you can get all that YouTube money from the views to pay for the therapy. That's true. You know, I'm gonna tell everybody else on the train. I I am the official uploader of this event. Don't, yeah, don't you even. It's like that game Darkest this. Dungeon. This is mine. My like, disaster. Your characters go insane when they go in the dungeon, but they also plunder the dungeon, so there's now money to pay for therapy. Yeah. Or liquid therapy or uh, I don't know. You know, good. That game gets depressing. Good deal. My brother keeps telling me to or play something. it, but I'm like, I don't want to lead a bunch of adventurers into a dark dungeon and watch them slowly go mad. Though I have been playing Don't Starve with mm-hmm. Anna, and my character was slowly going mad. I learned uh, the reason for this is that I wasn't sleeping at night. Oh, I would just well, build a campfire and then I would stand there and I'd maybe cook some food and eat it. And then I would just stand there waiting for the night to end because I didn't know you were supposed to build a bed and sleep in it. <laughs> well, that'll do it. So that will do it. Anyway, we're doing a little bit of a different episode today because I know nothing about what we're going to talk about. Yep. I am like sitting in class basically at the moment. Uh, we're going to talk about how you can be a little bit more like as you like to put it, my main man, Leo DV. Leo DV. The DVD monster. That's what I've been calling him. That's how I've been writing it down because his name's too long. Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. Or is it DiCaprio? I don't know. It's, which. Uh, it's probably both. I would actually be okay with being more like either of yeah. those people because Leonardo DiCaprio is a pretty good actor. I just assume they're pretty similar guys. Leonardo, Leonardo. Yeah, if you have the same name. They're then, probably. I mean, well, there is a turtle. and He's quite unlike those other two given that he's an anthropomorphic turtle there's a turtle oh i got you i got you never mind i don't know why i took i was thinking of real life turtles like at a zoo with a name and i was like donatello who's the fourth one michelangelo yeah michelangelo and shredder can't forget about shredder yeah and uh what's the splinter is that the rat's name yep yeah anyway so apparently you have read the entire walter isaacson leonardo da vinci biography over the past few months yep um, I actually started it about six months ago. I've been reading oh it. Gosh. I've been reading it off and on. In okay. all fairness, I did abandon it for a little bit to code things, but it is also just—it's very long and dense. Isn't it like a massive book? It's like a tome. It That's is a good word. The tome. I don't use tome very often. The tome of Leo DV. This is a tome right here. Is it this big? Uh, I have it on Kindle. Oh, so, okay. I actually haven't seen the book in person before, but I do know that it's pretty Walter Isaacson's... big when I looked at it, but I couldn't um, tell you the thickness offhand. He also wrote the Ben Franklin one, right? I think. Uh, I don't know. I know he wrote the Steve Jobs biography. Which I, I read got this because Bill, Bill Gates like recommended it. Oh, it's one of his recommended books? Yeah. I started reading Business Adventures because of his recommendation, and I need to finish that. It's basically just a collection of of, um, essays and articles that this guy wrote back in the 60s, just kind of reporting on different things that happened in the business world. And it's pretty fascinating. So it looks like it's a 600-page book. Dang. However, because it is all incredibly dense, like, biographical information, it's it's like you can't just skim through it and then know. It's not Name of the Wind. It's not a story you get to follow in the same way. They're just... Tons of details. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, I read that. It's pretty cool. Turns out Da Vinci's a pretty cool guy. Otherwise, I doubt they would have written this biography. Mm-hmm. Well, this episode is coming out hot on the heels of our procrastination series on the YouTube channel, which I introduced 
by basically throwing Leonardo da Vinci under the bus. Right under the bus. Because he was a terrible procrastinator. Yeah. So I'm guessing that the man had a few redeeming qualities. Otherwise, I think this episode's title will be How to Not Be Like Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that's part of why I liked the biography because it mm-hmm. shows it showed some of the more human traits that he had because it's yeah. easy to imagine just ultra brilliant genius, you know, like like a lot of people also would do with Einstein. Let's ignore yeah. all of the things that made them more sort of reachable mm-hmm. for us. Yeah, and that's kind of how I've always seen you would, Da Vinci. You deify them. I don't know much about the guy, but, you know, you watch all the, the documentaries and things where they they glorify the art and then the, um, you know, the, the architecture drawings and the the far ahead of their time designs for things like helicopters, even though they wouldn't have actually yeah. flown. It's just like, it's it's fascinating <laughs> that he would even come up with those ideas in the first place. Yeah. So I think it would be cool to hear a little bit more about what made him human in addition to, you know, how we can learn from him and his yeah. achievements. Yeah. So the, so the first thing I got here is um, basically, you know, I, we probably all know Da Vinci, but... Um, why do we care right now? Well, the reason that I followed through on Bill Gates' recommendation and, and read this was because, like, yes, Da Vinci was a he was a genius, but I wanted to answer the question: Does he defy the concept of essentialism? Because he's good at so many different things. He's the archetypal mm. Renaissance man. He's so good at all these different things. Is he defying that focusing on one thing will make you better at it, or is there a better explanation? And uh, if so, how? Yeah. Because I think it's, it seems pretty intuitive that if you choose to be the master of one thing, you put more work into it. Mozart becomes a super amazing pianist. But Da Vinci did, like, every random thing you could think of. So I wanted to know, does he defy the rule, or is it just a product of another time or something? Mm-hmm. Or is he an alien? Maybe he was an alien. So. And I'm curious, what... All did he do besides? Ooh, we got we got ourselves a good list here because I would not remember. It. Drawings? Did you have a list? Oh yeah, I had okay. to have a list. There's there's a lot of things. So, in addition to painting and among pretty much anything else that caught his eye, he worked on he worked with or studied anatomy directly as he dissected many people and things, fossils, birds, how the heart works, potential flying machines, optics, botany, geology, how water flows, weaponry, and theatrical performances. He wrote pages and pages on tons of topics that he at some points intended to publish but never did. And due to this, a few of his findings actually had to be rediscovered centuries later because people couldn't make use of the things he figured out. So wait, he had like independently discovered things Mm -hmm. and then nobody was able to And then we go back and we go back and then we look at his stuff and we're like, wait, he figured this out first, but it's named after this guy because this guy had to rediscover oh, it centuries later all anew. You got to wonder uh, like how many scientific discoveries are like that. Yeah, you how just many weren't famous enough to get it published or something. I mean, we like like Newton would have never shared his his work had not um who's the guy? The uh, somebody uh I mean, it's not Kepler. It's a guy whose name is completely um evading me right now, but he basically made newton or at least encouraged him to share his work but, and yeah. that's kind of the foundation of classical physics yes, and, and that's very useful revolution. but da vinci discovered several things i don't remember all of them because like i said this is a tome but they had to be rediscovered so he didn't get credit for them until we look later through all of his notebooks and we're like wait a second he's even smarter than we thought oh he also um created instruments he actually came up with this really cool idea for an instrument that I kind of looked for, but I didn't see anybody doing, and I would like to see it in action, mm. where it's like, uh, so you got like a piano or an organ. Inside of it, you've got a bow string, like for a violin. It runs in a conveyor belt-like fashion. Piano keys drop violin strings on it. Oh. So it's like a violin that can play all of the complex chords at for as long as possible as yeah. you want to hold it, like a piano. And like, that's, that's incredible. I've that never, would be really cool. I've never thought about that. I so, can synthesize. Actually, that's almost like the precursor to a, a synthesizer. Yeah, it's just like I would have never thought. Here's a manual way to make a violin piano. Yeah, and it's that's really cool. So it's just like everything that you could think of. Mm-hmm. As long as he was interested in it, he yeah. he dove right in. He didn't care. So, do you think that? 
like were there circumstances in his life that just allowed him to pursue his interests without the need to to work or have a career or like was there some sort of unfair advantage for him well i don't like he he did get some good deals from his skill later on but he was born an illegitimate child okay and uh that didn't help him he didn't get a whole lot of inheritance or anything yeah um some things helped him and uh, some of his patrons were more forgiving and helpful than others in allowing him to sort of do his thing. Yeah. But he also just sort of wasted a lot of time and made a lot of people mad and never turned in things he was paid for. Was he I, – I couldn't um, verify this in time for the video script, so I didn't mention it. But was he commissioned to make the Mona Lisa or is that a personal project? That was a project that somebody wanted him to make of okay. – um, Maybe it was their sister or their wife. I realize those are different. I don't remember the details of this guy. He was less important. But could have been the same thing. It could have you know, it could have been. It could have been. But that was for somebody who wanted it done. He just we and have he never gave it to We them. have no evidence that he ever accepted payment for the Mona Lisa. Okay. And he never turned it in. And the reason that like it was in his studio when he died. He very yeah. well may not have been done with it. I don't know that he didn't say, Hey look, it's done and then mm. died right right then. But he had been working on it for 16 years. So chances are that was not done in his mind. He was a perfectionist, and he would not drop things. He would just keep shipping, you know, all all the agile development. That's not not Leo DV. He would be terrible at that. So he'd be a terrible agile programmer. I think after all this, I think that he's truly a brilliant, brilliant artist and scientist and thinker and everything. He would not make a very good businessman. Mm. I don't think he would let go of things long enough to be profitable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there's that. But I often wonder how you and I, like, survive in business because I think we have a little bit of that. We uh, each do. Yeah. I I actually – there was a lot of stuff in here that I was like, I identify with that strongly, and I don't know if that's fortunate or not. (laughs) I identified with the procrastination thing for sure. Yeah. Because for me, I just want to keep – I want to put touches on things – and never finish them. And really the only way I get around it is by having deadlines. Yeah, like he was forced to publish the Mona Lisa by dying. So good thing it looked really good when he was done. (laughs) So yeah, I I like that he procrastinated though because he was not a god. This is, for the most part, his brilliance is actually self-taught. Okay. And So uh, he wasn't tutored by the best tutors in all the land? Actually... For a while, he looked down on formal education because he didn't get the opportunities to go do it. So he didn't have that. And he looked down on just taking knowledge from old books and stuff. Later on, he opened his mind up a little bit to Mm -hmm. taking some help from previous thinkers. But in the beginning, maybe he was a little bitter that he didn't have super good education or something. Yeah. But he touted experience as the better teacher. Okay. And... Therefore, he went through and learned a lot of things firsthand. So he's a product of a obsessive like curiosity, mm-hmm. basically. He taught himself how to be good at all this stuff, and later in life he opened himself up to to that. Yeah. So did it go through his early life? Like, how did he get to the point where he had time for independent study if he was illegitimate, didn't have all these opportunities as well, like a child? He, he worked in a an art studio. Okay. With. Uh, a guy who was teaching him. I think they had, they had a connection through, maybe it was through his father that helped him get this position in a, in an art studio mm. painting under a, a master. Okay. But a lot of this is just, he couldn't let go of obsessions. So it yeah. didn't really matter whether he had the time. Mm-hmm. He would just, he would just do it anyway. He would just do it. I'll just start. He, he had, he abandoned so many projects, just a city would pay him. A city paid him to make this big old mural of a cool battle scene, and he, like, started it, and it was going to be really cool. Then he just left and kind of avoided the city for the most part for the rest of his life because he was like, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. I feel like he wouldn't do well today. Like, we have phones and email. Or yeah. Maybe he could be some sort of ascetic who just well, he also in the mountains or something. He frequently – he had powerful patrons several okay. times in a row, so – he ended up working for the Duke of, I think, I think Milan. Mm-hmm. And then at one point he was favored by the French king. Okay. And then at one point, uh, uh, Borgia, the ruthless killer. So I remember fighting him in Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed. 
So basically, he had powerful patrons. So it was like the city would be like, hey, could uh, we get that guy who uh, owes us this work? And they'd be like, hmm, actually, he seems to be doing some busy stuff here for the king of France. No mm. big deal. We're not going to conquer your town or anything if you <laughs> make us mad. But he, he ended up being protected a little bit okay. from probably as much wrath as he deserved for his delinquency. Yeah. So with these powerful patrons, did he kind of make extra efforts to get the work done? Or did he make them angry too? Uh, he did do a little better. Okay. He would do He would do a little better. But not all of those projects got finished either. So basically a genius but terrible at actually delivering anything of yeah. use to other people. Very unreliable if you were living in his age. You wouldn't count on him for something. But you would count on him to know probably more than any other person you would meet. Okay. And to be able to think through things. I feel like there are companies today that would hire a person like that. Just like, just learn things and then just kind of like show us what you got. And we'll have other people, like think tanks. Yeah. I know Silicon Valley literally has companies that are just think tanks and they just... I think they literally employ smart people who just explore things at their leisure, and then if they come up with something, the company will patent it, and they I just think, collect. You know IP. what? That would have been useful. I think he could he could have done that. He would he, have probably excelled. Ama- there. Amazing thinker, but like his attention would constantly go wherever he wanted it to. Mm. That's he'd be a good fellow. I see some people like listed, listed as research fellows. That's their job. Yes, yes. Which I think is basically a professor that doesn't have to teach anyone which seems like a pretty sweet gig that, that would be pretty cool to be actually, honest just research and stuff yeah being smart yeah i don't know that would be really cool i feel like right now i would love to do that for a while yeah i don't know well that would be interesting just to study stuff for a while mm-hmm. the work of production along with the physical training i've been doing in the in the vocal training has kind of left very little time for for reading and exploration in the past couple of months. Yeah. So I feel kind of starved for it. And I think it's important to note that he explored and learned all these things through decades and decades and decades and decades. His entire life, he was... Right. There wasn't, like, a a strong period of a decade where he was like, actually, I'm just going to, like, watch Netflix for a while. He was constantly Mm -hmm. pushing himself in random directions and learning stuff. So he gets to pile on all these things. Yeah. It's a lifetime of work. And I think that's actually really useful to note for anybody. I remember we got that question, which we did on the five questions a while ago from somebody saying like, you know, I feel bad because other people seem to be so much better at everything. Yeah. And it's like, well, some of the people, and I think they were talking about me specifically, have been around for, you know, 33% longer. Yeah. And that's, that's a good amount of time. You can you know? learn a lot of one thing in like a year. Mm-hmm. So what if Nobody, you have many more of those? No 18-year-old feels bad for having less money in like the stock market than a 30-year-old because they understand yeah. how compound interest works. So I think you have to just sort of shift your thinking to view time and investment in learning as the same thing. It's compound interest. Like if you just consistently put an effort into learning or physical training, the time is a very important ingredient there. Yeah. And that's probably one of the big things is it seems like he had a lot of time where he wasn't having to work eight hours a day at the same thing over and over again just to make a living because he had patrons. And how nice would it be for us to all have patrons? Uh, But he also didn't waste his time. I mean, maybe he didn't deliver things, but he didn't didn't just consume media or or drink or whatever. Like, sure, we we do have things built now, literally to addict us to wasting our time. So we got to watch out for that. We don't, I don't know what Da Vinci would have done if he had a smartphone and like, you know, Candy Crush. Maybe he would have loved it. Probably gotten really good at some Maybe that ridiculous RTS game. Yeah. Crusader Kings 2. I don't, I don't like that version. <laughs> He's um, a really good EVE online player. But yeah. He, he, actually, he, good he question. Was, Did he have any uh, addictions? Um, Actually, I don't recall any okay. specific addictions. I'm always fascinated by that question because it doesn't get asked enough or, or examined enough in history. And it's very interesting how in recent history we have so many, so much evidence of even world leaders having addictions. Um, John F. Kennedy is a great example. He had this doctor who had the name Dr. Feelgood who would come in like every day and give him all these drugs. I mean, in his case, he had health problems and they were kind of needed. But you have to think like a lot of great historical figures probably had their own addictions. 
Well, for the things I just control f through the Kindle book, I'm not finding so anything. So nothing for him? I think his addiction was whatever was in his head. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, if, if he had an addiction, it wasn't important enough for me to either remember it or for it to be mentioned in a huge tome of a biography. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't think about that. But I don't, I don't recall it being mentioned at all. I will note as just a kind of a side thing, there's an excellent episode of Hardcore History called History Under the Influence. It's in his archive, so you do have to buy it. I think it's $2. Oh, okay. But it's it's just a great episode that kind of goes through a few instances in history where drugs or alcohol or some sort of intoxicating substance actually played a role in how things turned out. For example, when Napoleon came back from his first exile and then basically all of Europe came against him again, um, there's a lot of evidence to show that on the date of the very decisive battle he lost, he was high on opium. Oh, that'll do it. Yep. And that. I think he had like woken up late and his generals were saying like he's he's totally out of it. What's going on? And this is one of the greatest strategic generals to ever live. So you have to wonder like what, you know, what would have happened if he had been on his A game? Yeah, well, he really blew it then. <laughs> Good job, Napoleon. And there's also just all this... Uh, in, in reading and listening about the Mongols, like it's very likely the course of history would have been very, very different had not, I believe it was the second Khan, Ogadai, had he not died young. And this was partially because he was a like ridiculous alcoholic. Oh. Because he died and there were armies making their way through Europe and nobody could stand against them. And all of a sudden they get called back to do this curl tie, this this gigantic um, gathering to pick the next con, and they all have to come back. And it doesn't go well. So they split into factions, and their power just sort of dissipates because they don't have oh. like the iron rule anymore. Well, that's quite had a Obadai lot. Had of... not died, like yeah, that could be <laughs> we very may different. Have never had a powerful Europe. We probably would not have had a power before Europe. Huh? Yeah. There's a lot of interesting what ifs. Yeah. Anyway, I kind of got off on a tangent there. Oh, that's interesting, though. But I'm not familiar with any addictions that he had in particular. Okay. Other than being unable to, you know, finish the things he was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was addicted to whatever caught his interest. Yeah. And he was kind of at the mercy of the whims, you know, when they came. I'm, I'm ready for something else. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was he was brilliant and all in the procrastination school. And procrastination is whatever. Maybe to us it can seem, yeah, but history still sees him as a genius. Yeah. But in his time, he did not seem to like this about himself. I know. Uh, you, to like the procrastination thing? Yeah. As you yeah. quoted in the video, he, he wrote in many notebooks, tell me if anything was ever done. Tell me. Tell me if I ever did a thing. Tell me if anything was ever made. It sounds like he's basically going crazy about the fact that he never completed anything mm-hmm. and it, that it upsets him. Yeah. Because all of his projects seem to go awry. So he so, was self-aware of the fact that he couldn't keep focused on a project. Yeah. And not everything he couldn't finish was his fault. Sometimes stuff happens, your place gets invaded, or they need the, the resources for the military. Yeah. Stuff happens sometimes. But he he did seem, because it says he, he repeatedly scribbled this in notebook after notebook, he kept coming back to the thought, I still haven't done anything mm-hmm. of important. And maybe that's because his standards were so high that even the things he finished, he didn't consider. Yeah to be finished so that could be the case he looks real good from this perspective but we don't have to hire him and we don't have to be him he didn't Mm -hmm. enjoy the procrastination and neither did the people who expected him to do things yeah so anyway there there was a lot of good stuff about him Mm -hmm. that makes him brilliant and a lot of that is stuff that we can connect with and we can use it as an example so the first thing i have here is that uh, da vinci was actually pretty comfortable being different Leonardo was an illegitimate child. I don't know that he was very comfortable with that part, but it set him up immediately to feel different and try to have to get used to that from the very start. Yeah. But he avoided his family's tradition of being notaries. He was left-handed. Also, I learned apparently back then it wasn't that uncommon to just write like backwards letters, like mirrored letters. Really? Yeah. Just just because? That's how he wrote when he was left-handed. Because because your hand can't smudge the stuff. And when he painted, he had to paint the opposite uh, strokes because then he wouldn't smudge the paint he was doing. Okay, that makes So that sense. was really interesting to me. He was generally vegetarian, though he at least once had eels on a shopping list and he sometimes dissected animals or a still-beating pig's heart for science. So he had some wiggle room there, but okay. in general, he was very fond of animals and didn't want to hurt them. Mm-hmm. 
He was known to walk around in purple and pink clothing, which was not common at the time. Mm-hmm. He was gay, which was, you know, a lot of, lot of like, religious areas in that time, not down. It, it was a crime. He actually got in trouble with the law a few times. So was that something he was open about, or was it kind he, of a... He was actually open about it. Oh, okay. he, he didn't really... The, the thing about that is that he didn't really seem to make a big deal out of it. Mm. Like, he didn't go out of his way to say, I'm Leonardo da Vinci and I'm gay, but he also didn't go out of his way to hide it. Okay. Whereas contemporary Michelangelo, who was gay, was tormented by this because mm. of his religious beliefs. Yeah. And he tried to, to hold it and force celibacy and stuff. But da Vinci was just like, I just do what I do. I'm, I'm da Vinci. Yeah. He didn't care about these things because they were all just kind of side notes to the work he was obsessed with. Yeah. His personal traits didn't seem as important to him as whatever he was learning. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's actually, it's pretty interesting that he cared so little about his identity compared to his work, like any any form of it. Like he didn't seem to, as long as he was busy with work, yeah, a lot of the other stuff didn't matter at the moment. Was there anything that indicated that he had to go through a journey to sort of accept these differences or was he just naturally okay with being a little bit of an outlier? Well, I guess I don't know how he felt when he got in trouble with the law and nearly, nearly more in trouble. He did like get by. He got out of that somehow. Mm. But I'm sure that didn't feel great. But he just had a lot of things about him that made him different from the other people. And I think eventually he embraced it because of the city he was in, which that time period was really good for artists there in uh, Florence. Is that Mm -hmm. what you would call it in in English? I'm like reading all these names that in other languages because it's isn't it just Ferencia? Something, something about I'm just like that. remembering what they called it in Assassin's Creed 2. Like this is this is my knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> I have not read this. But book. yeah, he was there. So. There were a lot of artists, <laughs> and it was very. It was actually pretty common. A lot of the famous artists from the time were gay, so mm-hmm. it's not like he was completely alone. Yeah, but he was used to the fact that I'm an artist. I do a lot of things differently than people, mm-hmm. and I don't care. I'm going to go research stuff now. Yeah, leave me alone. So. So first thing is learn how to become okay with being different, being unique, not caring what other people think. Though I think there's there's sort of a middle ground with the whole don't care people think thing because you still have to have pride in your identity and what you do. Oh, like yeah. Some well, people, he, he definitely... like, I don't care what people think and I'm going to go do things that are objectively bad for me or I'm going to be lazy because I don't care. I think you have to you have to figure out like what your values are and what you think is good. And then if it doesn't align with what society thinks is cool, then that's when not caring is kind of like a superpower. Yeah. But he, he was willing to be different and think different. And that was obviously useful to him being one of the best thinkers mm-hmm. of that time. Uh, so the next thing is be obsessive and curious. Yeah. He was relentlessly curious it doesn't matter what kind of thing it was. He wanted to learn it for himself. He got lost down rabbit holes all the time, and he did not care. So he always carried notebooks with him. Mm-hmm. He wrote all his thoughts down on paper, made observations about people's facial expressions in the crowds and just, like, tons of stuff. And he wrote a bunch of to-do lists about stuff to learn. And here's a sample of some of these stuff that he just felt like learning. The measurement of Milan and its suburbs, which he later used because he wanted to draw it. Get the master of arithmetic to show you how to square a triangle. Ask someone how people walk on ice in Flanders. Get a master of hydraulics to teach you how to repair a lock, canal, and mill in the Lombard manner. Get the measurement of the sun, promised to him by some French person. <laughs> Discover why fish are faster than birds when water is heavier and thicker than the air. And describe the tongue of a woodpecker. This isn't <laughs> nearly everything, but, like, they have no obvious connection to the things we even know him for. Yeah. Like, the measurement of Milan, maybe if we know he did a little bit of architecture, that lines up. But most of this is completely random if you just know him as making The Last Supper and the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Like, also so the song super of curious is about everything. But, yeah, he just wanted to learn everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that's one of his biggest strengths. Yeah. So it's relentless curiosity, which is great because it gives you the ability to think laterally and to pull from many different dimensions and, and fields yeah. when you're – maybe inventing a helicopter prototype or something. That's one of his greatest strengths because creativity often comes from separate disciplines Mm -hmm. coming together. And uh, I remember reading, or I wasn't reading, it was listening to an episode of 99% Invisible 
about the field of biomimicry. Oh yeah. Which is observing biological structures with the intention to integrate them into technology. So for example, scientists who observe, or like biologists who observe dragonflies have noticed that they can basically fly in any direction, they can fly upside down, and they've started trying to replicate the design of their wings into new, like basically the next generation of helicopters. That's a really interesting thing to mention because Leonardo also did notice that dragonfly wings were interesting and and like paid attention to how they worked. Just everything you could think of. He was like, why is it doing that over there? Mm -hmm. That's cool. But yeah, one of the sections in here is uh, combine art and science, imagination and intellect. Mm -hmm. The creative things, he combined them and that was his strength. The Last Supper was informed by his studies on optics. He wanted the light in the room to hit the right place. He wanted to be able to from the people people from the perspective people are going to see the painting mm-hmm. he wanted it to look right so he would like okay so ideally they look at it from here or they're coming through this door i want it to kind of look like that real life window is shining light into this like it's a real room mm-hmm. in the last supper like it was informed by studies of how the eye work and how vision works and the mona lisa her smile is informed by his many dissections of people where he specifically tried to study and understand all of the muscles involved in the face and the lips and facial expressions. He wanted mm-hmm. to know how they worked and why they worked. And he's several other paintings of his, he, he would upgrade it because he learned a new anatomy thing. And he'd, he'd yeah. go in and be like, actually, the, the connections in the neck look like this, so it should have these little parts poking out, and that'll be realistic. Like, huh. science and art for him were the same thing. Mm-hmm. And combining different disciplines is the reason that he's basically made himself into a genius. Yeah. That's really interesting. Because you think, as an artist, if I can just go look at a person, like, I know how to draw them. You wouldn't think that there are insights no, he, to be gleaned he, by dissecting a person. Well, one of like his cadaver painting skills was he would try to have people's physical expressions in the painting sort of indicate their emotion because mm. he he believed and noted that your emotions are reflected physically in some way. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to figure out exactly how to do it and, yeah. and capture emotion and capture a moment. And a lot of that was informed by scientific inquiry. So oh. it's pretty cool. I, I guess for a more, a more um, accessible version of this, when we do the podcast art, the last thing I do is look at um, shadows and shading. And I'm like, okay, so if the wait, so the light's coming from this direction, do these shadows all make sense? And it's just oh, yeah. that kind of little extra detail is the kind of thing that he took to like a, a high level. Yeah. And it made his work the, better. So hmm. uh, next section here. Next thing we can do is we can think deeply before we act. Sometimes you can't. You're getting chased by a tiger. You just figure it out. But... I'm thinking deeply then. Well, you, just sh- you better think fast. Different parts of deeply, my brain. Uh, deeply and fast. <laughs> but, so when he painted The Last Supper, Da Vinci was known to stare at the painting for just like an hour, put in a brush stroke, and then just walk out. <laughs> that was it. That's the work. Okay. And he explained this to one of his benefactors. and He specifically said that men of lofty genius sometimes accomplish the most when they work least for their minds are occupied with their ideas and the perfection of their conceptions to which they afterward give form. So he didn't look like he was doing a lot, mm. but his brain was very hard at work the whole time and or just letting things simmer in the back of his head if he went to go do something else. That way he would yeah. come back with a better solution, that diffused mode of thinking. I've seen a lot of people argue against open concept workplaces because of this. Because say you're a programmer. And you're just sitting there not doing anything. To everyone else, it looks like you're not working. But to write a good program... It's really guilt-inducing. Yeah, a lot of it is just you need to sit there and you need to just have all the pieces in your head and figure out how they should fit together. I mean, you had to design an entire algorithm for the related posts at the bottom of our site and figure out, like, how, how do we maximize the speed? How do we minimize the server load? All these things. Yeah. You can't sit there typing code while you conceptualize those things yeah and th- that's p- part of one of the things that i identified with too because like like you said i often spend days just thinking how is this going to work mm-hmm. how is it going to affect things or enable future things if i get rid of it later will it leave a mess behind yeah how do i do this in like the cleanest best way and then i'll do it in a few hours mm-hmm. 
You know, 90% of the of coding to me is thinking. 10% is typing. Yeah. You just you just type it later. That's not the big deal. The syntax, you just google it until you find a stack overflow that tells you the syntax you don't understand. Yep. You eventually learn all the syntax and can type it yourself, but when you don't, the syntax is the least of your problems. Mm-hmm. It's the thought behind how it's going to work. Yeah. That you can't just google. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he I don't think he would have done very well with the agile mindset of uh you know, ship this version and fix the bugs later. Yeah. And uh, basically, he he probably would have made much more money in life if he was willing to compromise a little. But mm-hmm. the reason that he's respected as a genius and not just a master craftsman is because he was selfish about his art and he cared more about him caring about the art yeah. than he did about succeeding with it commercially. Mm-hmm. But that's a, that's a choice you got to make, you know, because I like to eat food. So to some degree, we've got to strike a balance. Yeah. where we still can live to do the art that mm-hmm. we care about. Yeah, I think for somebody like him, it's, and I guess he had the good fortune of having all these patrons, but for people out there with that same kind of mindset, I guess you do have to eventually come to the realization that there is a degree of compromise you have to accept. Yeah. I, I imagine that you had to accept some degree of compromise with even this episode outline. I had to accept some degree of compromise uh, with every video I've ever made, but especially the ones on the topics that are near and dear to my heart. Like I didn't do a procrastination video for four years because I thought that was the Holy Grail topic. Someday I will make the best video ever on that. And uh, the ironic thing is the reason that I did that series is because I was super behind on videos. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I, I actually had scripts written for other topics and then I thought, wait a minute, I'm behind by three videos, but if I do a three video series and I just jump into it, you know, I, like it's almost like the deadlines forced me to compromise. It's like, let's just use that lack of time as a, as a, I don't know, a motivator to actually get this thing done. Yeah. And, and there were certain patrons where he did do some stuff, just he was more likely to be responsive mm-hmm. to them because they were powerful and important and paid well. Yeah. But the things we know the most are the things that he didn't want to compromise on. Mm-hmm. So we've got to strike a balance because you can't make cool art if you can't eat food first. True. And you everything know? that we know him for is kind of stuff that was discovered after his death for the most yeah, part. Yeah, a lot right? of this stuff that he didn't even get credit for until later when people went through his notebooks. Mm-hmm. But we know him as a brilliant artist and thinker. We do not know him as a good businessman. No yeah. one has ever told me Da Vinci was a good businessman. Yeah. And they won't. So Are there good businessmen that we remember hundreds of years later like maybe crassus he, well, he was rich i don't know he was good at schmoozing I don't, i'm sure I, there's some I, well we'll see a several hundred years from now because i feel like capitalism's really strong now so there's just like a, a lot of really successful businessmen maybe that's true but i mean there's mercantile age and everything too so yeah but you I just you named them though that's true i guess a lot of the business success in the mercantile age was tied to conquest and we tend to remember conquerors. So yeah, I wonder if 500 years from now, people will still remember the Rockefellers and Carnegie's and people like that yeah. as strongly as they remember the Einsteins. I don't know. Because there's a level course. of romanticism to art that yeah. like makes it more appealing mm-hmm. to think about long-term. Um, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, I'll another still work thing. on my time machine. Yeah, Just work on that and we'll find out. Yeah. But so another thing that Da Vinci did that was important and pretty unique for the time was he was open to being wrong. Mm. So he, he would come up with new ideas. He would test his ideas. If the theories were wrong, he would abandon them and look for a better one. Yeah. He didn't get stuck on things. And that type of thinking was not as common back then as it became later on with like the scientific method and, right. and things like that. But we should have no hesitation updating our views when we're given new information that should change them. Mm-hmm. Like um, he saw a lot of sort of analogy between the human body and the earth. And that was a really big artistic thing for him that he mm-hmm. that he valued. And so he had this idea that the world's waterways were like its blood vessels and that maybe they, okay. maybe they circulate and refill in the same ways. Mm-hmm. Well – he later on was like, actually, that doesn't that doesn't fit these few things. And then he just stopped thinking that. He didn't say, no, I have to be right. Let me find reasons that make me look right. 
He just said, as beautiful as that reason is, it did not work in this circumstance. Yeah. The, and that, that's what – he's a good thinker because he'll abandon things that are wrong. Yeah, and that's awesome. The the model doesn't fit the facts, so make a new model. Yeah, and he, he loved that idea. That your model. He was a big fan of the connecting the human body to earth mm-hmm. thing. So when it didn't work and he just abandoned it, he was abandoning something that was beautiful to him. Yeah. Because in this particular circumstance for waterways and blood vessels, it did not act the same as he predicted. Mm-hmm. And that's life. Um, let's see. Oh, collaborate with others. This one's going to okay. be unexpected because we, we have this view that genius is like one person sitting in their lab doing a bunch of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're too smart for help. They can't, nobody could help them. They're geniuses. But Leonardo learned his painting craft in a workshop with a bunch of other painters. Hmm. Uh, back then, they didn't even... Was it like a paint and sip? Like wine it was like, it was, yeah, it was like that. Now, they, they worked collaboratively a lot back then. They didn't even necessarily sign their works, which is why it's so hard for us to figure really? out, is this a Da Vinci thing? Is this something? Because they didn't tend to do that. It would yeah. be a, the workshop would do it. They would collaborate, huh. even uh, several people putting brush strokes onto the same painting. Really? Yeah. They're not like some of these things that Da Vinci worked on. are not. They're not 100% Da Vinci's work. Mm-hmm. They might be 100% his vision. Yeah. But they would often have people in there painting together to get work done because they sold works as a workshop. Yeah. Or they would have several students and people in the workshop. They're all painting their own version. Like there are a few different versions of the Mona Lisa. Oh. Because they're all exploring different methods, different ideas for what to do with this. So kind of like a patron would come to the workshop, say, I want this. And then maybe they'd make a few versions and the patron would take the one they like best. Well, I guess I, I guess I don't know if the if they actually showed all the versions to them, but, or maybe, maybe they're just or, like this is they the were, best one. This they were exploring deliver. all the different ways to tackle something, yeah, and or just say, just practicing and or they're working on literally the same physical painting. Mm-hmm. So there are some things with Da Vinci brushstrokes which you can tell because they're left-handed, so they differentiate ah. from the people in his workshop. But then you'll be like, these ones aren't. This isn't Da Vinci on this side, mm-hmm. and that's we don't think of that the other people don't get credit i don't know their names and i just read the da vinci biography i don't know everybody that worked on a painting with him and we may never know because they didn't sign the back yeah what was important was the work so while genius and and personal brilliance is really cool sometimes it takes teamwork to actually accomplish something right you know like if i dreamed up hey i just thought of these things they're called pyramids awesome right and then i was like i'm gonna build it i'm not gonna build it it's not gonna happen i will never succeed it requires yeah well now we're good two people two people should cover it and stuff but collaboration i think a lot of people might be stubborn with their ideas or their art Mm -hmm. or things like that but if da vinci can can have people working on paintings with him then like why can't you yeah, then we can you, let people you know, help us out. If you care about your art, then you care about the accomplishment of the art and what it means. And sometimes other people will be able to help. And, and a lot of his greatest thoughts and the greatest work he did in other fields came from when he would talk to, like, master mathematicians mm-hmm. or other people. I can't remember all of them. But most of his ideas came after speaking or working with experts in other fields, and like uh, the Vitruvian Man. Yeah. That came after he talked to some other dude about mm. the ideas that, and then he later drew that, and now we know it, but we don't know the other guy. Yeah, but we just think of the main guy attached yeah, to it. His ideas were affected, and sometimes literally worked on by other people. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that other people had actually painted. No, on we his we'll, paintings. well, we just we simplify it, we romanticize it, and I think that that's not a good thing because then we just think of da vinci and einstein as unattainable genius they were born that way they just happen to be geniuses and i i just don't happen to be a genius therefore i shouldn't bother learning everything that i think is cool Mm -hmm. not uh not about da vinci but one thing i've been fascinated about for a long time is there's this ongoing debate about who made the first airplane was it the wright brothers um, there is a Brazilian guy, I can't remember his name at the moment, and it's generally accepted the Wright brothers did it before he did, but he did something they didn't do. He launched an airplane without using a track to make it take off. 
like I believe the Wright brothers made theirs take off by putting it on a track and pulling it along that. And then it flew independently and had a motor and everything. Whereas this guy, a few years later, it just had wheels and it took off on its own. And so we give all the credit to the Wrights and not as much goes to this guy. And, you know, none goes to the umpteen different people who probably, I don't know, contributed a, p- a propeller design or figured out how the wings should work or the first person who achieved non-powered flight. There's all these different steps along the way and, you know, one or two people get all the credit for all of it. When in reality, they probably just pieced together a lot of what other people had figured out and then yeah. maybe added a few extra things that sort of just got it in the last 3%. Yeah. Like humanity does great things when it works together. Mm-hmm. So I think just viewing all these singular people as never having needed help in any way, yeah. you know, that's that's just – Da Vinci didn't just magically pull himself up by his bootstraps and become a genius. He worked with other people all the time yeah. and on purpose cultivated his genius. Mm-hmm. Cool. What's next? Well, my next section is uh, basically the answer to did he defy essentialism. Okay. But don't pigeonhole yourself. Don't stick yourself into a little tiny box. The The problem with the concept of essentialism, if you take it too literally, is that it may prompt you to try to shut out all information and effort not related to your chosen specialty. Yeah. This is not what it really needs you to do. That's not necessary. It doesn't work because creative thought, like uh, we talked about earlier, often comes from several disciplines coming together. Da Vinci was a creative person because he studied a thousand different things and then related them together. Right. If I was going to paint somebody... I wouldn't think necessarily, in order to paint this, I have to cut open a bunch of dead bodies. But because he did, he made more realistic paintings. He made better paintings because he did also do that. Obviously, he could have painted them without that, but having had done the other thing helped his work. So essentialism's concept is still true, I think, because if you put shallow efforts into 10 things you're you're interested in, you still probably won't end up really good at any of them. Mm Mm-hmm. But da Vinci dived really deeply into everything he could think of. He probably spent a lot more time thinking than, than I mean, we probably just waste a lot of time comparatively. From how obsessive he seemed to be, I don't know how often he just kind of chilled. Yeah. He was thinking all the time. But he abandoned most things that bored him rather than giving them shallow effort. So mm. there's some effort he's saving, even when it would hurt him. Even when it's this huge mural he's supposed to be painting, he'd just be like... I'm I'm bored, or I don't really know how to perfect it yet. Um, so instead of kind of just wasting my time here, not being satisfied, I'm going to abandon it unprofessionally, and then go do things that I'm going to dive deep into and care about again. Yeah. So so he, there's an element of of goodness there. He like maximized good use of his time. Yeah. He just it just came into conflict with his commitments. Yeah, maybe that he should have. People were relying on. Maybe he should have waited before committing. Maybe he should have had more like equivocation in his contracts. Like maybe I'll finish a painting. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna hire him. Yeah. As a case. Yeah, but like the the part where he's basically he's spending as much time as he wants on the things that he's really passionate about, mm-hmm. and the other things he's just saying that's dumb. I'm just gonna literally leave the city. Yeah. Not think too hard about that and hope it doesn't come back to haunt mm-hmm. me. Well, I think that's the problem with trying to uh, live unequivocally by certain principles. Yeah. Like there are times at which you may need to compromise that principle for uh, real, like, you know, realistic reasons. Like, oh, I want to just abandon the things that I feel less interest about now because I don't want to work shallowly. I want to work deeply, you know, for my entire life. That's noble. But if you are already committed to work that other people are relying on, Maybe you should put a plan into motion to start moving into that kind of work you want to do while also meeting your obligations. Yeah, you're like, I'll finish this, then I will abandon the thing I don't like anymore. But I'm I'm at least – that would be better professionally, I think. Yeah, or like – and this one may be controversial, but um, I think like some people would say like, oh, if you see a relationship going nowhere, you should break up immediately. And I'm like, no, there are times where you need to wait. Like, don't break up with somebody the day before their birthday or, yeah, yeah. like, I don't know, they're going through something difficult right now. Like, oh, they just failed their finals. Not the time to do it. 
or they're about to take their finals. Yeah. Suck and, it up. <laughs> now they're yeah, going to they're fail all their tests. Actually, this is good because finals are coming up. Anybody who needs to break up with their girlfriend or boyfriend, do it after finals. And, and, unless you have, unless there's like a really good reason, unless you know, a really there good are obvious exceptions to this rule. Yeah. And like you can wait but, for too long, but I remember there was an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where Terry's trying to figure out why this woman's really mad at him. And he's like, yeah, I, I had to break up with her, but her mom was like had cancer or something. So I waited like a year. Oh, a year. And okay. Maybe that's kind of long and they maybe played it up for comedy, but still like, I'm like, that's kind of noble. I don't know. You can't just be like, well, it's over. Hmm. There yeah. are there are other people's feelings and needs. You can There are commitments. You can't always abandon everything right this second. Yes. Life isn't always literally exactly what you want at every moment. Exactly. But as a general rule of if you're not if you're not that invested anymore, try to stop dedicating your time to it. He wasn't like, but I said I was going to do this, and this was what I really liked back then. His past self did not have a lot of control on his present self. Yeah. And. To, to a degree, that's really cool because it meant that he was getting the best use of his time, the best use of his brain because you work better when you're passionate about what you're doing. And you're, yep. he, he was like in deep work mode basically you know, all the time on these things because yeah. he didn't do things he didn't care about enough to do them deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is really cool. But he also wasn't going full throttle on these things at all, all at once though. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> essentialism still applies here because he just he was just using his effort better. But it's not like he became great at every single thing that day. He still took time. Yeah. There was actually a period of time where he was so obsessed with scientific inquiry that he really didn't even want to think about painting. He didn't even mm-hmm. want to pick up a paintbrush. We know him, I think, first as a painter for the most part because of right. the Mona Lisa and Last Supper. But there was a period of time where he was like, I don't even want to think about painting. Painting's stupid. I'm an engineer. Hmm. Like – completely separate period of time where maybe he was still doing some painting, but he really didn't want to be. Yeah. He was willing to let go of something as his primary interest to chase something else. Mm-hmm. And he ended up being really good at a lot of things because of that. If he had if he had said, I need to paint eight hours a day for the rest of my life, we would not have a lot of the things that he figured out in his notes and that we can look back on and say, how did he do that? Yeah. Yeah, and that's cool. I kind of want to do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. He would just, you know, I'm going to I'm going to tone this part down. It's not mm-hmm. exciting. Today I'm an engineer. There was actually he like sent out a a job letter sort of thing to yeah. I think the person it was the duke of maybe it was Milan at the time. And he mentioned all these things that he could do. He was like military, engineering, water stuff, like how to divert water and engineer water and stuff throughout the city. And then at the very end he's like also, in painting, I can pretty much do whatever. Like, the thing, like, it was just like, <laughs> P.S. can paint. I'll throw it in there just in case that's what gets me hired. If, if like, you, if you, if you, like, needed the painting, yeah. yeah. But, like, it was, he didn't care as much at certain times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people would love to be like that, but there's just too much obligation or guilt or, or comfort. Comfort is a difficult thing to abandon. Mm-hmm. You don't. People don't like to lose things they already have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing for. I mean, for me and for you, there's like there's certain goals that require staying the course. And maybe you know, part of you wants to go and explore and just kind of abandon everything that you've built just for, you know, just in exchange uh, for going and exploring the world or doing something new. But that would require sacrificing maybe an obligation or a duty you feel that you have or a yeah. long-term goal that you're working towards. Yeah. And I think uh, it's pretty easy to have a lot of obligations now, you know, at, mm-hmm. at the very least student debt is obviously common and a problem. Yep. So then you're like, well, I have to, I have to pay that off. Like they don't really care if I'm finding myself yeah. in backpacking even, through Europe. I have a job. Even school itself. I mean, we get how many emails from people saying hey, I'm a sophomore in college or junior in college. And I realize like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. I kind of just want to. Oh yeah, and you've already paid for a couple the years. World, but I have all the student debt. Like in principle, I would love to say, yeah, just throw it all away, become a student debt refugee, leave the country. They can't get to you unless you come back on home soil. Home soil, then they can get you. But that's not that's not practical. No, and so, we just we can't do it all the time. 
and he did he did do work that he didn't necessarily want to do for certain patrons that he would accomplish more things for. Mm-hmm. It's just he frequently abandoned things. He he well, honestly finished relatively few things throughout his entire life. Yeah. With the Mona Lisa being finished by him dying, or he probably would have kept painting it. Yep. Yeah, and unlike him, we don't have uh, Borgia as a patron to protect us, and we can't just walk away from I the city and have them never see, know where we I don't are. actually want to work with a terrifying warlord. Me neither. Kind of guy. Yeah. But, you know, that's a sacrifice he made to work on the things he was interested in. It's true. Yeah, but I think that there's there's something to be gained by reading and learning about the principles he lived by and then maybe seeing if there's a way that we can inch toward them in yeah. our own lives. I think we should adapt them to what is reasonable. Mm-hmm. We don't even need to have all of these things. Or maybe it's just the process of sitting down and asking, like, have I smothered my curiosity through years of, you know, chasing something for external reasons or for duty or for commitments that I no longer feel are important to me? Yeah. I think it's just like self-awareness. It's like having frequent conversations with yourself to ask, is the path I'm walking still meaningful to me? Do I need to be walking it? Is there some duty that is important? Yeah. And you find out which paths you care most about by exploring a lot of things. Mm -hmm. He explored tons of things. He got to find out which of those things were more interesting to him. Yeah. He didn't always go into deep deep into each one of them as much as he did certain ones. He did a ton of dissections Mm -hmm. and dissecting a still beating heart is pretty intense. Yep. He didn't go that deep on every single thing that he tried to learn about. Yeah. But I wouldn't have thought of dissections as a great place to start a hobby. You know, maybe I would love it though. Maybe it's my, maybe it is my hobby. Maybe it's my best hobby. I had to dissect a frog once and... Oh, yeah, you're right. I, I did that in, like, high school. So from my experience, it's not my hobby. Yeah. But clearly, he tried it. He was interested. I wasn't grossed out, but I didn't enjoy it that much. I wouldn't say that I thing. would do it, like, instead of playing the new Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> I still need to play that. Yeah. It's pretty – it's really good. I've I really like it. I've been playing Don't Starve with Anna. That's my game right now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's – you know, it's a lot of stuff in here. It's a huge mm-hmm. biography. It was really interesting to read. I tried to pull out stuff that we could learn from as opposed to all the minute details yeah. of his life. You know, if you want those, read the biography. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Dig into 600 pages. Yeah. Although a lot of the a lot of that's probably citations too. Oh, fair so enough. So that's, that's fair. But it's really information dense. Yeah. And it, it took a bit of time. That's what Matt told me about the Ben Franklin one. It was like super informative, but man, did it take me a long time to get through it. Yeah. It's like I don't casually get to read the Leonardo da Vinci biography. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I guess that's the most of the lessons I had written down. Okay. So, in summary, we've got Da Vinci was really comfortable being different, just doing – he was just – you know, he was himself. He was obsessively curious, sometimes unhealthily obsessively curious, yeah. and uh, I empathize with that. He thought really deeply before he acted, which allowed him to create the, the kind of masterpieces that we get to look back on because he put way, way more effort into painting a single smile. You know, plenty of people would just paint lips. Yeah. And they would say, those are lips. Thank you. But he, he did more than that. He cared about how the muscles under the lips worked. Think really, really deeply about the things that are important to you. He combined art and science, imagination and intellect. They were basically the same thing. Um, I don't know that he would have separated those things in his mind at all. Yeah. Because science was beautiful to him like art was and art incorporated science Mm -hmm. there's actually a very good i want to put in the show notes a video somebody made from a recording of richard Feynman, and i believe it's called ode to a flower and it is about that intersection of art and science and seeing science as beautiful cool and yeah we'll have that in the show notes and everyone should go watch it because it's great it sounds like da vinci would watch it if he had YouTube. He would. But, and he, he was open to being wrong. If he had evidence that did not back his beliefs, he would abandon those beliefs and say, okay, let's start over. What, what beliefs fit the evidence, not mm-hmm. what evidence fits my beliefs? And he collaborated with others. He was, he was not afraid to sh- get to share the work or even the credit. It, yeah. It wasn't a big deal. It's about the work. And he did not try to pigeonhole himself off 
as one kind of person. He was not just a painter. He was a painter, but among many other things. He did not pick one thing and say, well, I'm the art guy, so I can't be the science guy. Mm -hmm. I'm the vegetarian, so I can't ironically work for one of the most ruthless warlords. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of hypocrisy in some of those stances, but he did not say, I said I was this, and now I have to do it for the rest of my life. Yeah. He was he was willing to sort of evolve. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, one good extra thing to note in the summary is that he was also not perfect. No. He was a terrible procrastinator, and he often shirked his duties. Yep. So... I would not hire him for much other than interesting <laughs> conversations. I uh, hire him for my think tank if yeah. I ever have enough money to fund a think tank. But I, if I wanted a painting and I wanted it done for a special event, I would never even nope. wouldn't consider it. <laughs> but I think that it's just a good reminder that any figure that we cover, anybody that we look up to, there's going to be something about that person that you may not like or that's going to be a flaw. Uh, and that goes for living people too. Yep. That goes for anybody who looks up to online personalities, for example. If you got to know them better, if you got to know me better or you better, you'd find things that you didn't like. Yep. But hopefully you would also find things that you do like and that you could say, all right, I'll take that element of the person. So I will not deify this person. I will not put this person as an entire entity up upon a pedestal and aspire to be them but I will aspire to be like them in the ways that I have determined are beneficial. Yeah, you incorporate the parts that you like. Mm-hmm. But just being them doesn't, it's not not a great idea. Yeah, and, and I guess there's also the, the note to keep survivorship bias in mind. Yeah. Like, yeah. he may have been able to survive all of his duty shirking because he had Cesare we, Borgia we don't, on his side. <laughs> we don't actually know of all the other people who were irresponsible because maybe they were murdered. They may have been shirking murdered. Their, we don't know yep. how many other... I don't know. We, we, we wouldn't have heard about them. To old age and make lots of notes. Yeah. They were dead. Oh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess my, my very last note will be his brilliance was not... He wasn't just born a genius. Mm-hmm. He on purpose studied a lot of random stuff obsessively. Yeah. And he built that brilliance. Yeah. So... He may have been naturally smart, but he also put in the work. Yeah. If you're naturally discovery. smart and you don't work, that's... That's not your potential. Mm. He worked really hard to reach his potential in every field he liked. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. My football coach said that all the time. I think that's actually, it's Leo DV quoted that. Leo DV. Pretty sure. He said that. My boy. He said it in Italian? Yeah. My boy Leo DV. Yeah. You know what it is. Assassin's Creed 2 is a good game. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good game. (laughs) Just end on that. Go play Assassin's Creed 2. He's in it. Love that game. He's my favorite character in that game. Yeah absolutely my favorite character in that game anywho uh so i think we're gonna wrap up there right yeah that's that's what i got you know sweet this is uh what episode 240 i believe i think so yes so if you want to get the show notes for this episode including we'll have a link to the book and ode to a flower which is a fantastic yeah. video that i want to go watch again now uh cigpodcast.com slash 240 is going to be that show notes link or if you're watching this on youtube or facebook you can click the link in the description below or to the side or wherever it is for you on your device. can never say where things are. There's mobile yep. layout changes and things. You can never know any of these days. I mean, even our website has some layout changes. Yep. Not many, but some. Um, one thing I want to note, since I'm wearing our Never Stop Learning shirt right here, Mm. The Never Stop Learning shirt, which was designed by your girlfriend. It was. Actually, fiance. I keep That's true. forgetting to call her that, is currently the best-selling apparel item on standard on the Standard TV website that isn't a CGP Grey item or a Kurskasa item. Okay. So what we need to do is beat them. We need to crush them. We need to crush them. Hey, and wait, yes. You know who never stopped learning? My boy Leo DV. Yeah. He would wear this shirt. He would absolutely wear this shirt. He probably. wants it. Or he'd be like, "What? why are you guys wearing T-shirts? I wear It's also like in cool English, so I don't know that that's helpful. Well, we'll get an Italian we'll version get the, at some point. We'll get the Italian or version. Or in Latin. Maybe he'd like it that way. Yeah. Anyway, we've got to crush them. And I don't know how we're going to do that because Chris Kassat has like, I don't know, 5 million subscribers. Everybody buy 10. <laughs> yeah, everyone buy 10. But if you go to collegeinfogeek.com slash merch, you can get yourself a Never Stop Learning shirt and very soon a mug 
Ooh. And I think you're going to be able to get those in time for the holidays if you're listening to this near the publication date of this podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this like in March or something, you will not be able to get it retroactively and like just have it in the past. You can't do that. Sorry. But you can get it. So collegeinfogeek.com slash merch if you want to get yourself a Never Stop Learning t-shirt, whether you want to help us be ultra competitive with the giant 800-pound gorillas that uh, we probably can never actually beat, or you just want to get yourself a cool shirt. Yeah, and you want to walk around saying, hey, Da Vinci would wear this shirt. <laughs> that makes let's me cool. That, let's put it on the back yeah. of the next iteration. <laughs> da Vinci would wear da this Vinci shirt right on the back. Shirt. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start a new clothing label called Da Vinci would have worn this. And we're only going to print things that Da Vinci would have worn. Done. There we go. Brilliant. Genius. Um, what else? If you enjoy this show, make sure, number one, that you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you want to get it de- delivered to the device of your choice every Monday morning so you can take it on the go. And uh, if you really like this show, number one, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts always helps, bumps us up the rankings, gets us out to new people via iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Uh, but you could also just share it with a friend, let them know what your favorite episode is. Maybe it's this one. Maybe it's the one on coffee shops. That's the one everyone's watched on YouTube. Hmm. I don't know why. I don't know why that episode in particular got so many views. But That's it's, interesting. It's got a lot. And then I think episode 100 is still the most downloaded episode. That's the one with Cal Newport. Oh, yeah. That one doesn't surprise me. The deep work one, kind of our bread and butter. Coffee shop one, I don't know what happened with that one. And it was interesting. If you roll the dice, sometimes you get the numbers you want. Yeah. Share your favorite episode with a friend. Maybe they will become a listener of this show as well. And last but not least, you can go over to collegeinfogeek.com slash resources to find all of our favorite apps, gear, backpack recommendations, our college packing guide if you're moving in the upcoming semester, and our list of essential books for students. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. My spiel is over. So thank you guys so much for listening and hanging out with us, and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.